Father, we pray right now that by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is present, you will speak through your vessel, whom you have called, and speak to your people, whom you have called. We desire to hear from you today and to be transformed from one degree of glory to another. Holy Spirit, you are faithful to your assignment, and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Listen, we've been focusing on worship for the last several weeks, and last week we spent a whole 40 hours giving ourselves to worship, and we came together with our churches, many of our churches around the world. It was a powerful time, and I'm already beginning to hear some testimonies from people who, who feel that their own life, their spiritual life has been greatly blessed. Their faith, their love, their relationship with God was deepened as a result of giving themselves to worship. And we have said to you that, you know, don't let it be 40 hours and then stop. It's supposed to be a lifestyle, correct? Um, and so I want to continue, since this is the Christmas season, I want to continue on the theme of worship. Are you ready for the word? Now, this, this morning you're going to say, hallelujah. Or you're going to say, ouch. Either way, respond. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let's go to Matthew chapter 2. And in Matthew chapter 2, from verse 1 to verse 12, we're actually going to read the story of the five, well, um, the story of the wise men. Uh, You know, we say three, but the Bible doesn't tell us how many. There were probably a lot more. Or magi that traveled from the east. Persia, modern-day Iran, to Jerusalem, and as we will see, they had a single purpose in mind, and that was to worship Jesus. So let's read it together. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Some of you may have seen the bumper sticker that says wise men still worship him. That is so true. Wise men still worship Jesus. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem, why was he troubled? Why wasn't this good news for him? Well, he felt threatened by the birth of Jesus. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, I want you to please read it loud with me. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said, that is the scribes, said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Much knowledge of scriptures. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my... I wonder what God plans to bring out of your life and pull out of you for his glory. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said... Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come. Yeah, sure. 
Yeah. Verse, next verse. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with what? Exceedingly great joy. They were not rejoicing for the star. They were rejoicing because of what the star was telling them. And when they had come in the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and did what? Worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, appropriate for him. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country. Yeah, after you've worshipped, you never leave the same. But that's another sermon. But I want us to look at this, you see, um, because this is about worship. And what I want to do is use this passage to share with you something that is not, a few things, not deep, not even new. Uh, just to put you in remembrance. Because you know we have a habit of forgetting. Correct? And so we have to constantly remind ourselves and we have to constantly be reminded of the things that are important in life. Amen? Constantly remind ourselves of God's will, God's plan and purpose. Otherwise, we forget. And when we forget, according to the parable that Jesus says, the enemy has stolen the word, we cannot bear fruit. So I want to remind you of some very, very important things concerning worship, concerning God's attitude towards worship, so that we can align ourselves with God's purpose and God's plan, individually and as a church. Is that okay? Amen. So here's the first thing I want to draw to your attention. Very obvious, but I need to remind you. Everybody worships. Say that. Everybody worships. The question is not whether or not you worship. You do. The question is who you worship or what you worship and how you worship. But you're worshiping somebody or you're worshiping something. So here's a question to keep in your mind as I minister God's word this, this morning. Whom do you worship? And how do you worship who you worship? In the name of Jesus. Now, there's a spiritual world. And you need to know that worship is so important that there is competition for worship. There's competition in the realm of the spirit. And the prize is not the World Cup. The prize is your worship. I told you about 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 how much the enemy wants worship. But let me first begin by letting you know that God really, really, really wants your worship. That's the thing he wants most from you. Now, we've already told you worship is more than a song, right? So when we, when, when we talk about worship, we're talking about surrender. We're talking about submission. We're talking about service. We're talking about offering yourself as a living sacrifice to him. That is true worship. 
God really, really wants my worship. I mean, you know, sometimes I wonder when you consider how big this universe is, yet God really, really has an interest in my worship. This is what he said. He is seeking men and women to worship him in spirit and in truth. Anybody willing to be among the number? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So God is actively seeking your worship. But it's not just God. There are two other characters that are seeking your worship. The, the other one we've already mentioned already in this sermon, and he's Satan. We told you last week that he wants worship so much that he'll give you what it takes. And he figured to get Jesus' worship, he was going to have to give Jesus the whole world, thought that Jesus couldn't resist. But again, because of who Jesus is, all the world was not enough to cause him to worship Satan. But Satan desperately wants your worship. He was Lucifer. And the reason he got cast out of heaven was because he envied the fact that in heaven, everybody worships God. And he wanted to be worshipped. As, as exalted as he was, as honored as he was, as powerful as he was in heaven, it wasn't enough. He wanted the worship that only God should receive. And so he was cast out, but his desire for worship is as strong as ever. And so he has really organized his demonic forces and the people who are willing to work with him in order to get as much worship as he possibly can and to prevent God from getting the worship that God alone deserves. And so the enemy is at work in the world, brothers and sisters. Do not be ignorant of his devices. The enemy is at work in your circumstances. The enemy is not just at work in the world. The enemy is at work in your world. And he's seeking to make it as difficult as it is for you to give worship to God and to exert as much pressure on your will and as much influence on your emotions and your thoughts to cause you to turn to him and give him the glory that only God should receive from you. I'm telling you, the enemy is at work. What do you think Hollywood is all about? You think that's just by accident? I meant the enemy is investing hugely in the media and in entertainment and to do all he can to make sin looks, look so glorious, to make the things that bring him glory so attractive to us. And so the music, the movies, amen, the celebration of sinful lifestyles, glorifying it on the screen. Listen to me. These things are not just incidental. The Bible says we're wrestling against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. There are spiritual forces that are intentional in doing everything they can to make it as hard for you to worship God and to make themselves look as attractive as possible so that you start desiring what they offer rather than what God and who God is. 
Why do you think it's so difficult for you to find time in your day to get alone? And just spend some quality time with God, not distracted, in the word, in his presence, hearing his voice, responding in praise, responding. Why do you always have to struggle? That's because there is resistance. Spiritual forces at work, either directly or indirectly, in your circumstances, to make it difficult for you to truly, truly focus on God. Get to know God. Worship God. There's warfare taking place, and your worship is the prize. So God wants your worship. Satan wants your worship, and he has organized himself that's one of the reasons it's so difficult for you to get up on the Lord's day and come to church. Why you struggle? Why you can find so many other reasons to stay home? You and I need to be aware. The enemy is fighting against your desire to worship God in the way that he has commanded. Now there's a there's a third character, and this character you're very intimately aware of. That's the one you call me. That's the one you call myself. Oh, you got to hear me. That me wants worship. Me wants worship. Me wants the world to revolve around me. Me wants my will to be done. Me wants to please myself. Me wants to sit on the throne of my own life and make my own decision, govern my own affairs, run my own life the way I think best for me. Me loves to please me in as many ways as me can find. That's one of the reasons Jesus would say, if you want to follow me, you got to deal with me. Well, not me, deal with you. Deal with self. Because self gets in the way and competes for worship. In Philippians chapter 3, I think it's verse 19, or so Paul is speaking, and Paul describes the me idol. And he says about this idol, he says, the God, that if the God is their belly, they glory in their shame. In other words, the things they should be ashamed about, that's what they glory in. And they set their minds on earthly things. This is what me would want you to do. Instead of setting your minds on him, set your mind on earthly things. And to the extent that me can get you to set your mind on earthly things. Me receives worship. Christ does not. I told you you would say hallelujah or ouch, but right now I'm not getting either hallelujah nor ouch. I didn't expect I would get the silent treatment. So you got it? There's worship is, everybody worships. It's not a question of whether or not you worship. The question is who you worship. And in essence, there are three choices you have one is to worship the creator, the only one who deserves to worship, the one for whom you were created to worship. 
Or you could worship Satan, the god of this world. Or you could worship self, the belly god. That's a choice you have. My prayer for you and for me, when I say you, you, I'm talking to me too. That we will understand the battle that is taking place and how important my worship is and your worship is. And be aware of the choices that we have to make. Because listen to me, if you're going to worship the creator God, it's going to have to be intentional. You see, your default position is to worship me. That's your default position. Left alone, if you just do nothing, you're going to worship me. Me is going to be on the throne. Me will do what me wants to please me. Me, 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 me. If you do nothing, me is your default God. So it's like going downhill. If you push something downhill, you don't have, I mean, it'll just keep going. If the water is flowing downstream, it's going to keep flowing downstream. It's when you want to go upstream that it's going to have to be intentional. It's going to take effort to push that rock or that car up the hill. No effort for it to go down the hill. Even so, if we are going to worship the only one who we ought to be worshiping our creator, we got to understand it has to be intentional. Oh! It has to be a decision. Was it Joshua that said, as for me and my house, we will serve, we will worship the Lord? That was intentional. And so he said, I set before you. Here are the gods. You decide who you're going to worship. If God is your God, then worship him. Decision, intentionality, folks. May God give me and give you the grace we need to make the decision that we need to make intentionally that we're not going to worship me. We're going to not, not allow me to be on the throne. We're not going to worship Satan. We're not going to celebrate him. And that we are going to worship the Lord our God. Are you hearing me? The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Say hallelujah. So there we are. There are three, 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 three uh, uh, forces at work in the realm of the spirit that are seeking your worship. And we need to make a decision. Now, I want to share with you three obvious but important points that I'm going to lift up out of that passage, which I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to focus on for the rest of our time. Now, here's point number one. Say, everyone, whether you're from Africa, whether you're from the U.S., whether you're from Europe, whether you're from Asia, whether you're old or whether you're young, whether you're educated or you are not educated, whether you're Gentile or whether you're Jew, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, hear me. This passage reveals the mind of God concerning worship. And very simple is this, God's agenda, God's plan, God's will is for every man, every woman, regardless of where you come from, to worship the Son. God's agenda is for Christ Jesus to be revealed. 
and for Christ Jesus to be worshipped by every man and every woman. God is working in history towards the day when Christ will be all in all. That is God's agenda. That every knee will bow. Your black knee, your white knee, your Asian knee, your American knee, your African knee, your rich knees, your poor knees. Amen? Your smooth knees, your ashen knees, your crocodile knees. <laughs> it does not matter. The will of God is that every knee will bow and Jesus Christ will be all in all and all of creation, not just men, but men and women, angels, even the immaterial, the stars, the moon, the heavenly bodies, things above the earth, things on the earth, things underneath the earth. God's agenda is that every created thing will worship him. And so we see in the story, the Jews had already received a revelation in the scriptures concerning Christ. But because God desires every man, every woman, the whole world to worship him, God revealed Christ to the Gentiles, revealed Christ to the heathens, and caused them to have a revelation so strong concerning the Son that they literally traveled for four months at personal cost, on rough and dirty terrain, for one purpose, to worship the sun. And that's why at Harvest, our vision, because we know God's agenda. And if this is God's agenda, then those who want to walk with God must make that their agenda. For can two walk together except they be agreed? If God's agenda is that all will bow their knee to the Son and worship the Son, if that is God's agenda and I want to walk with God, then I must make that agenda my agenda. If this church is going to walk with God, if this ministry is going to walk with God, then we've got to make his agenda our agenda. And his agenda is that every man, every woman, every boy, every girl will willingly but if they don't, they will unwillingly bow their knee. Oh, you got to hear me. Right now, you can do it willingly. But if you refuse, the day will come when you like it or you don't like it. You will bow your knee and you shall declare that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. And that he is your creator, your savior, your Lord. Even if you rejected him, that's who he is. That's why at this church, this ministry, our vision is a world where no one lives or dies without Christ. This is not something we just pull out of the air to be cute. To say we have a, a vision. It's a vision that comes from the revelation of God's agenda. That is God's agenda. And we want to walk with God. That's why the mission is win the loss at all costs. Make us many disciples for Christ. That's why we want all of you to get discipled and to be making disciples. Because we want to be in alignment as a church with God's agenda. And we want you to align your own life with God's agenda. 
So that's the first obvious point. God wants the whole world to find Jesus and worship Jesus. Let that be your agenda. To find Jesus in every situation. To find him in every circumstance, good or bad. To find him in every day. And respond to him. In worship. And we told you, in responding to him in worship, you're responding in submission. You're responding in service. You're responding in offering your life a living sacrifice to be an instrument by whom his will gets done in every situation. You see, the star was performing its function. It was working with God's agenda. Pointing them to Jesus. It was using its influence to point to Christ. Here's what Jesus said. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father. In other words, let your light, the light of your life, so shine that it continually points men to him. Like the star, let your light shine in your family. By the way you live, by the things you say, by the priorities you set. Let your light shine in your family that your family are pointed to Christ. Let your light shine at the place where you work so your co-workers are pointed to Christ. Let your light shine in the church so that your fellow brothers and sisters may always be pointed to Christ. When they see me, oh God, let them see the light that points to you. May my life so impact your life that you want to get to know him and to serve him and to worship him a little bit more. His agenda is that the whole world will worship him. And then here's the second point. I may have suggested this, but I want to make it clear. Here's the second point. Because this is his agenda and because he's so committed to this purpose, God will move heaven and earth to accomplish his purpose. I'm telling you, God is working behind the scenes. God is working in his story. God is working in the world. God is working in the universe. God is moving and will move heaven and earth to accomplish his purpose. In the end, God's will shall be done. You and I don't need to wait for the end for his will to be done. We can let his will be done now. But in the end, God's will shall be done. God will move heaven and earth. And in the story, we see him moving heaven. Well, we said, but Bishop, it was the star that led the wise men to Jesus. You're right. But who commanded the star? To shine. Who commanded the star to shine when it shone? Who commanded the star to move? Who controlled the star that led the wise men? Call his name. Call his name. Call his name. 
behind the star, the heavens, God was at work. And when the wise men who were on earth moved from Iran, Persia, to travel for four months to get to where Jesus, God was moving earth and moving heaven to accomplish his purpose. I'm telling you, God is working even in your life behind the scenes. Moving things in your life, moving, working in your circumstances, working in your best. Are you hearing me? In order to get you to focus on Jesus, to get your eyes to focus on Jesus, to get your heart to focus on Jesus, to get your light to focus on Jesus, that Christ might become the center of your life. God is at work. And that's one of the things he does is he blesses you. And one of the reasons he's blessed you and is blessing you is that the goodness of God might lead you to repentance and bring you to him. That you might join the angels that worship in heaven. Everybody in heaven is a faithful worshiper. That you might join those angels and those faithful worshipers in heaven to worship. He works behind the scenes. You are not blessed by accident. It's intentional. Don't let the blessing get in the way. Understand why the blessing is there. It's to point him to you. I told you last week. I told you last week. Jesus showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses showed up and... Elijah showed up, and when Peter got confused and began to confuse the blessing with the blesser, are you hearing me? When he began to equate the blessing and allow the blessing to get in the way of his understanding and revelation of Jesus, God immediately removed Moses and removed Elijah so Peter can stay focused on Jesus. Maybe, maybe one of the reasons certain things are removed from our lives is to help us get our focus back on the one upon whom we should be focused. Are uh, you hear me? I tell you, God is so committed to this agenda that he will work in your circumstances. Amen? Hallelujah. You see, you see, let me just say something again about the, 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 the devil and, and, and his work. Uh, because again, I told you, he really, really wants worship. He really does. Uh, but for many of us, it, the devil offering us sin will not be the reason we follow him. I hope most of us are in the habit of saying no to the devil's temptations to do wrong. The problem we may be dealing with is not what we do with the evil temptation. It's what we do with the things that are good but can get in the way and hide his face from us. Your challenge is probably not with saying no to adultery. Your challenge is probably saying no to other good things because you know where the focus ought to be. And these other good things, though not sinful in themselves, are hindering your submission, your surrender, your service. They're preventing you from offering yourself as a perfect sacrifice for him.
God is working in your life, in your circumstances, and God is working in the world, and God is working in history, and, and God is working in the universe with this one purpose in mind, that the Son may receive all of the worship and the praise. Throughout eternity, we'll be worshiping the Son. Are uh, you following me? Now here's the third lesson and then I'm done. There are basically three ways that your mind can respond to the revelation that Jesus is God's agenda. Three ways your mind can respond to the revelation that God wants all the focus to be on the sun. For our motivation should be the sun. Our worship to be the sun. Our obedience is to the sun. The sun is on the throne. We are casting our crowns upon the floor before the sun. There are three ways by which your mind or my mind can respond to that. And the three ways are illustrated in the story by the presence of Herod, the presence of the scribes, and the presence of the wise men. So let's look at that. Your mind or the minds of those who hear this message or who hear God's agenda is about Christ and not about themselves. Hear me, like Herod, your mind can cause you to respond in what I call open rebellion. In other words, there's some people, maybe nobody here, but there's some people who when they hear that God wants them to be removed from the throne, that there should be a new king to sit on the throne of their lives, a new king to be worshipped, a new king to be obeyed, a new king to follow. The idea of a king to replace me on the throne can be so revolting that in their mind they engage in open rebellion against the very idea. And there are some people, perhaps here, I hope not, but there are some people, definitely perhaps, those who are looking right now, whose response to the very idea, like Herod, whose response to the very idea that he is no longer king, the idea that you should no longer be on the throne of your life, that you should no longer be in charge of your life, that you should no longer be the one making the decisions on what you will do and what you will not do. The very idea that you should be submitting all of your will to his will and letting Christ and Christ alone be the one that receives glory for all that you do. That very idea of not taking credit, that very idea of turning the hearts and, 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 and minds of men away from you so that you can basically run your own life and you can be king. That very idea causes you like Herod to openly rebel. You don't want that. You will not accept that someone else should be on the throne instead of you. You insist that you should have your own way, make your own decisions, and run your own life. And when you need some advice, you will ask for it. You hear me? That's happening in churches all over the world, and that's happening all over the world. People like Herod openly rebelling 
against the notion that Jesus Christ should be the only person on the throne in your life and the only person that you are submitting to and worshiping and offering yourself totally to and not yourself. Yes, yes, a second, yes, a second response that your mind may be making to God's agenda. It's not open rebellion like Herod's. It's what I call passive resistance, like the scribes. The scribes in the story, they they openly, they were supposed to be very religious people. They were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. They were students of the scriptures. They knew the Bible. When they were asked where this child should be born, they were so knowledgeable of the scriptures and the prophecies, they could say, it is written, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And how right they were. If they were alive today, they would score 100 on a Bible test. I mean, they, they would be attending harvest. They would have been in harvest for years and know the Bible down left from the back and front and all kinds of ways. And they would be able to sit in judgment of other preachers and other people and other believers. And, and they would have the answers. They would be able to explain the doctrines of grace. They would be able to talk to you about Jesus and why he came. They would be expositors of God's word. And utterly, you would really, really feel, man, this man or this woman really, really loves Jesus. But like the scribes, even though they knew the word, even though they could give the right answers, even though publicly they confessed their faith that the Messiah would come, they had it all right. In their minds, they had information. In their hearts, no passion. And so what you find when all you have is information in your head but no passion in your heart, you find yourself engaging in what I call passive resistance. You talk smart, but you don't do squat. Week after week after week, you acquire more information and information and information. But when it comes time to act upon it, to actually worship, you've got other things that are more important. I mean, these Gentiles travel four months. Bethlehem was only six miles from Jerusalem. The Gentiles were willing to travel four months to go to Jesus to worship him with the little information they had. The scribes were all the information they had verbally would consent, but thought it was too much to travel one hour to move six miles to worship him, to honor him, to fulfill God's agenda. They were not changing passive resistance. And there are some here and some watching who will never openly rebel against God's word. They will agree with it. Nor would you accuse them of being ignorant of God's will. They'll agree to that too. But when it comes to actually doing something with the word, 
acting on the word, pursuing God's agenda to find the son, to focus on the son, to worship the son, they are passive. May God deliver me and deliver you from passive resistance. Oh, hallelujah. I said, may God deliver my heart and your heart from passive resistance. May we not be satisfied with information, but may we receive information in order that we may do that which God requires of us. And we know God's agenda is that the Son be worshipped, the Son be served, the Son be glorified in all that we do. Don't let Bethlehem be too far for you. And then here's the last response, and this is the one that I pray is true for you and true for me. It's the example set by the wise men. And what do I call that? I say their response is an instance of active surrender. So you can openly rebel, you can passively resist God's agenda, or you can actively surrender to it. And live each day committed to finding Jesus, to knowing Jesus, and to worshiping him for who he is. Lord of lords, King of kings, Son of the living God, Savior of the world, soon coming King. Resurrection and life, bright and morning star, Lion of the tribe of Judah, the good shepherd, the I am. Look at active surrender on the stage in the life of these, four, of these wise men. They traveled four months at great personal cost over difficult terrain. They didn't have Highways, they, didn't, they were not going by airplane. For one purpose, and to worship him. They looked at the star, because the star was pointing them to Jesus. The star was helping them to get nearer and nearer, closer and closer to him. And so as long as the star was pointing them to him and helping them to get closer and closer, they allowed the star to guide them. But once they got to him, Jesus, my brother and sister, they took their eyes off the star because it's always and only about him. The purpose of the word is to point you to him. The purpose of preaching is to point you to him. The purpose of the fellowship is to point you to him. The purpose of prayer is to bring you to him. It's all Jesus. And when the wise men got to him, look at active surrender. What did they do? The Bible says they got on their faces again. These were wealthy people. These were people who were used to other people bowing to them. These men probably have never bowed to anybody else in their lives. 
they were always in charge and in control. But when they came to Jesus, they understood instinctively that this one is who God said he is. And the only proper response to this one is to surrender actively, submit totally, offer our best, our treasures to him, and offer our very lives to be holy sacrifices for his glory. They fell on their faces and they took their treasures. Your treasures are the things you value the most. I mean, we all have stuff, right? We got time and we got talents and we got some money. Some of us got some, but some of us got more, but all of us got some. Things that we value because they, they meet our needs. And, and we need these things. But when we take what we need, our treasure, time, our treasure, talents, our treasure, uh, um, resources, mature resources, and we take what we treasure and we give them in worship to him, we're saying, I need these, but I need you more. Are you hearing me? When you take the things that you want and, and, and you say, I want these things, or I want this time for myself. I want this time for my business. I want this time for my family. If I can give just a little bit more time to this and this, I could do this, I could do this. And yet you say, Lord, as much as I want this, I'm going to give this up for you. Because I want you more than I want this. surrender that's what God is calling us to that's his agenda for the believer that's his agenda for our church and that's his agenda ultimately for the whole world may it be true in your life in my life in our church in Jesus name a number, a number of years ago a number of years ago, um, well, maybe, yeah, long, a long time ago. I don't know how long. But this example just came to mind. I want to share it. I had, I had drunk, drank some coffee. Of course, you know, taken off the lid and made my coffee, drank my coffee. Uh, I needed coffee then, like I need some coffee right now. Pray for me. I'm supposed to go preach for Pastor Willie after this. So may God give them grace. <laughs> so, 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 but the point I'm trying to make is that after I had made the coffee, now I was looking for the lid in order to put it back on the jar, and I couldn't find the lid. I don't know how long I spent, but I spent a lot of time looking for the lid. And then I finally saw it. And when I, when I saw it, it was right there. It wasn't far. It wasn't distant. It was right there. The reason I didn't see it is because it was surrounded by a lot of clutter. 
Your king is right here. Every day he is with you and in you and there. You don't have to travel four months anymore. The difficulty is all the clutter in our lives that make it difficult for us to see him in the midst of our lives. I pray that you would declutter your life. Just move those things that are hindering you from really seeing him, focusing upon him, and worshiping him. That's our problem. We've got too much clutter. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. One more time. Amen. God bless you. Father, take this word and by your spirit, let this word take root in our lives and let it produce the kind of worshipers who are committed to your agenda, even Christ Jesus. Like these wise men, may each of us be active, surrenderous to your will. May every member of this church be actively serving your purposes in their generation. May every member of this congregation be actively presenting their treasured possessions to you for your glory. And may we be living sacrifices for you wherever we go. May the light of our lives point men to you and cause us and them to want to worship you even more. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you.